So freedom, let's discuss this concept a little bit. So what can be meant by this, this term? It's a term we can apply to anything we want. We can call our pet freedom or give somebody a nickname freedom. But when, what, might it, uh, what might the term stand for? What clear idea can we bring to our attention uh, in connection with this term? So here uh, we say in the range of our experience that some things are constrained on occasion by some other things. An example of that is the motion of a puppet is purely in uh, or of a regular puppet. Maybe there's different kinds, but uh, of a regular puppet, it's, it's purely in uh, uh, stemming from the motion of the puppeteer. It has none of its, quote unquote, its own motion. Again, a, a regular puppet. So we would say that a puppet is constrained by the puppeteer. If the puppeteer wants to move the left hand of the puppet then and, and does so, then it goes up, right? Then the left hand goes up and so just so for the right and the head and, and the, the legs and so forth and so on. Or for instance, we might see a dog constrained by a chain, which means that the dog does not have the freedom, the possibility of going beyond its chain. So we would say it's constrained. What are other examples? We might say that uh, um, a hamster in a cage is constrained within the, the confines of uh, the, the cage. A hamster cannot simply go wh wherever it wants well, unless it escapes. We would also say that we are constrained uh, by gravity. We may want to jump up uh, and, and go for a little quick trip to the moon, but we can't without a spaceship. Right? So uh, we can't just, uh, we see a tree, we want to get to the top without climbing, we can't. We're constrained by uh, the, this feature of, of our experience that we cannot, we can only jump so high. So here we say that, uh, that this concept here, this idea seems to be that uh, it, it, we can imagine uh, an outcome and then this outcome cannot be had due to some or another limitation. For instance, we can imagine the dog being in a position farther than than, it is, than the chain allows it, but the chain prohibits that outcome. If we got rid of the chain, the dog could be there. We could imagine the gerbil, or what do we say, the hamster running about. Uh, but due to the constraints of the cage, it can't, it's stuck in the cage. We would have to get rid of the cage to, to do that, right? We can imagine being on the moon, but we, we need to get rid of the constraint of gravity, such as by building a spaceship. So we see here that it only makes sense to, to speak of freedom uh, and, and its converse when there's the possibility of, uh, th there's an outcome that's conceivable that is being limited by something that can be changed. So we see here consequently that if we try to apply this same uh, relation that exists between a, a dog and a chain uh, and the possibility of the dog being farther than the chain allows it, we try to take that uh, possibility, or I'm sorry, that relation, and apply it to two and two being four. Is can we trans? Can we make that transfer of that relation or not? So it would, it would seem to be no, because it, at least in the way it's usually portrayed, we cannot conceive two and two being anything other than four. There's no other possibility, and consequently, it's not being constrained by anything else. So this uh, uh, then is a, is a way to think actually about. Uh, the technical, from a technical point of view, uh, as to the question of, of the freedom of the will, uh, when people say that there is no freedom because, for example, people cannot do anything at any time, 
People cannot do something for no reason or people cannot do something out of nowhere. This is deceptive because it's implying that there is a conceived possibility of, 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 of action or conceived means of, of action and willing. And this means is being constrained, is being prohibited by some or another circumstance that can be changed like the chain of the dog. But if we think about it, we see that the function of the will is not constrained by anything at all. It's purely uh, what we might call logical. It's the only conceivable alternative that we act for a motive and the reason has to be greater than any of the other, other reasons bearing down upon us. And uh, there's no conceivable constraint here uh, in terms of its pure function. So consequently, we cannot call if we use, it's just a term, but if we use the term freedom, to think, uh, to, to, to designate a, a possibility of removing a constraint. Again, freedom for the dog would be getting rid of the chain. Freedom for the hamster would be opening up the cage. Freedom from gravity would be using a spaceship to get to the moon. If that's what we mean by freedom, then we cannot say that there's any freedom lacking as it concerns the function of the wealth because there's no conceivable alternative. Just like we cannot say that there's any freedom lacking as it concerns two and two being for because there's no conceivable alternative having said that there then there are uh, contingent constraints on the function of the will that to which we can imagine an alternative and consequently we can conceptualize uh, uh, the, the notion we can bear in mind the notion that we can free ourselves and, and attain a greater degree of freedom than we do currently have but not because we've changed the actual function of the will, but because we've changed something that can be changed. So let's now discuss, try to discuss uh, th th this topic. How, what does it mean to free ourselves? Is it possible? Well, we said it is possible, but in what way then is it possible and how do we do it? So first of all, obviously there are uh, the, the constraints that the, the physical world imposes on us. And here we can uh, attain the peak freedom possible in our natural state by having a high degree of physical health and mobility. And what that means then is that we can exercise our will concerning the physical world as we please. So, uh, and as is possible and as is conceivable, we're still constrained then by natural law, but uh, it, we're, we're as free as can be. We, we're not under any additional constraints uh, than, uh, in, in addition to, to those provided by natural law. Uh, so for example, a person with a, a broken leg uh, might have the desire to jump. Right? So, but it, presumably, perhaps the leg prohibits that desire from being realized at that moment. And consequently, in this way, we would say that uh, the, the person is not free to jump. So to attain a higher degree of freedom, the, uh, the leg would heal, would have to heal, and then the person would be able to jump. On a technical note here, we might say that this is a function of our imagination. Uh, because if we purely consider the reality as it is, we see that it is likewise not constrained at any given moment. If we cannot jump at a given moment, then that is as real, as much of a part of reality as that we cannot jump to the moon ever, right? It's just a smaller example of that. So uh, in the highest way, we would say that still, there can never ever be any kind of constraint at all. But we're talking about... Um, 
we're, we're allowing the, the exercise of our imagination and of our memory and of our anticipation and, and, uh, and, and such and, and thinking in terms of the future. All right, so it is a concept that right now, say, our leg is broken and we cannot jump, but we can imagine a time when we can jump in relative to that imagined state. We're saying right now we are constrained and we cannot jump, so we have a limitation on our freedom. Anyhow, so we're, we're talk, we are talking again in a slightly softer, perhaps, sense. Uh, but so, so that goes, that, that's the, the physical aspect of it. And, and by having a, a healthy weight and by uh, be having full range of, of mobility, whatever it takes, whether it's strength training or physical therapy or uh, whatever it may be for a person to be able to exercise that whatever possibilities that their body could provide them in, in the optimum scenario. Obviously, some people are born or, or lose their limbs. Uh, some people, and that's their new reality, but then they can optimize the possibilities in, excuse me, in that reality and get rid of as many constraints and, and attain as much freedom, at least in the sense we said, uh, as is for them possible. So that's that. That's that. But what what other kinds of uh, constraints can we potentially remove? So if we venture, so to speak, inward, uh, and we consider our psychology, we see that uh, by and large, uh, most of us are extremely bounded by our psychology, meaning there are conceivable. Exercise, there's a conceivable range of, of willing that, that that is prohibited by our s- certain features of our inner life. Again, we have to take that with a grain of salt because technically the same thing as with the broken foot. If it's impossible, then it's not actually conceivable that if we really consider everything. So we're, we're set, taking this in, in an expanded uh, sense other than in a strictly technical sense here. Uh, but uh, so for, with that in mind, we can say that, for instance, it's conceivable that a person uh, speaks in public. And yet if a person has uh, a fear of a phobia of speaking in public and consequently doesn't do it because of that fear, that would be a constraint, again, in the soft sense on the person's freedom. And if we remove that constraint, that would be a person become freer in the sense of like the dog becomes freer to go farther once the leash is gone. The person would become freer to do what is possible uh, for, for somebody else to do, speak in public. The same thing would go for, say, a fear of a relationship, of a romantic relationship, as many people have. If that fear was resolved and removed, a person would be free to, uh, to, 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 to go to, to expand their, their personal life. Uh, the same thing would be a fear of uh, uh, of work, right, or, or of doing any kind of complicated work. A person uh, may only feel comfortable with it, with their current position, and they may have untapped, as they say, as people say, uh, potential to, uh, to to progress professionally or to uh, pursue one's hobby or to pursue one's passion. So we would say, if a person, for example, could conceivably paint, great, but they have a fear of painting great, then they're constrained by that fear, meaning it's conceivable to paint, and in their case, they're not painting, and the conceptual cause for that is the chain, the equivalent of the chain for the dog or the cage for the hamster is the fear, and if the fear was overcome through whatever means, then the person would be able to paint, and they would be more free in the sense that, in the limited sense that we're speaking about. So we see that freeing ourselves psychologically is a major task. And unfortunately, most people never 
get start and they never succeed De definitely because they never start and they never apply themselves so what are the techniques here for freeing ourselves psychologically so obviously there's a whole field uh, of psychology that could be thought about as addressing this very question if we were to uh, kind of think about it a little bit more charitably than, than in a very myopic way uh, and and there, there's plenty of different techniques, whether it's something like desynthesizing, however that term is pronounced, a person uh, to their fears and exposing them to, to, again, to making them public speak and stuff like that and consequently freeing them uh, or to discussing childhood because many of these things, these issues, they develop as some kind of complex from childhood as some kind of issue, uh, right? Because we understand as we grow older, we become calloused and we become harder to the, the, the bizarre nature uh, and the initial incomprehensibility, in, uh, said that right, uh, that's a real world, word, uh, of the wor world, right? So an adult that has been through a lot has seen many things. If they uh, see a violent movie, that it's, that there's no, gonna be the negligible effect on, on their psyche, on their, on their emotional state. A little child uh, it, it sees even a one violent scene on TV but before a certain age nowadays and frequently children are used to it and perhaps they were also not only nowadays but say in Roman times and gladiator shows we'd have to look into that uh, but it, it, that this, that initial period where, where a child is not used to it even one scene and it can be scarred into a, a child's memory uh, for, for uh, life and uh, this speaker uh, recalls a uh, a scene from uh, childhood where I saw you know, the t television was on. I was flipping through the channels, and in one instance, somebody was having their head bashed in with a hammer. And even though I've seen many movies since, uh, that that one scene sticks out. It was the first time I saw something like that, and it was very bizarre and, and very uh, it was, it was traumatic in a certain sense. So you see that there's a very uh, vulnerable time in, in in our development initially. And consequently, any things make a huge impact. For example, if we're adults, we're, we're well-adjusted, we're mature, we know how things work. We're not overly disturbed by the, the fact that people are not perfect and that not every man and woman who, who has a child is a Superman or Superwoman and, and morally and intellectually perfected and consequently and is completely just a model of, of, of ethical excellence. We understand that's that's life, and sometimes people that are inadequate as human beings have children, and they raise their children. And it's if we see it as adults, in the case of somebody else, we're like, well, what, what do you expect? <laughs> What's the alternative, at least at this time? And yet, of course, from a child's point of view, who's being raised by an inadequate parent, it definitely there's no, no such objectivity, and it's a fundamentally problematic thing, uh, and, uh, and that can create an impression and subvert a child's development goodness forbid for for their whole life uh, how they were they weren't uh, traded and uh, again from the side it seems absolutely ridiculous because we understand people are not uh, perfect and they still have children and still raise them but again from that uh, vulnerable childish point point of view of the child should we say uh, it's not like that at all so we see consequently many of these uh, uh, bondages uh, uh, psychological bondages they come from childhood and the job then of a uh, the professional in this uh, discipline would be to to uncover them and, and to discuss them. And again, there's again many techniques, psychotherapy, some of the techniques uh, put forth by Freud or by Jung, 
uh, analyzing dreams, making connections, all kinds of things. And we, there's no need to comment on the effectivity of it. That's not our, our job here. Uh, but uh, th- there are such things. But we have here we're, we're going to try to t- tackle this question with a, from the point of view of thought and, 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 and from the point of view of a greater um, confrontation with, with reality and with clarity of thought. Because we would say that ultimately that is the solution to any and every problem is to uh, understand correctly things, right? Because we understand every person is a part of reality. Things happen according to necessity and there cannot be a fundamental issue with anything at all. So if there is, it's because we're misrepresenting something to ourselves using language. Perhaps uh, we're misunderstanding something and so forth. So here we would say that the key is to understand, uh, to, to, to freeing ourselves from our psychological bondages is to understand reality greater. So for instance, we can understand the necessity of positive intent that nobody means bad ever. Nobody ever has, nobody does, and nobody ever will because it's there's it's not even that it's wrong. There's no conceivable alternative to the positive function of the will. So if we understand this, we can then apply this understanding throughout our childhood uh, memories and recollections throughout our relationships and consequently there can not actually be any grounds to have any issue with anybody or anybody's treatment of us no matter what it was if we truly and thoroughly understand that the person meant good because the the, uh, the traumatizing thing is this notion that the, somebody meant bad that there's some kind of other side to the world and to reality other than the side that we find ourselves on. It's not about the act in itself. We say that if, again, may of course, may we be spared, if we're uh, savaged by a shark or terrorized by a a lion or a bear, it can definitely be (laughs) an awful experience and it can absolutely have flashbacks, but it's still not the same, we would say. Or even, but here it's not the perfect example because many people obviously do not understand that animals mean good and that from the sharks or the lion's point of view is just a piece of meat. So that a person might theoretically be equally traumatized, but let's say an animal expert who understands animals, understands their behavior, that they mean good, and, and he or she uh, in, a, in their cage, they're working with a lion, and the lion, Guinness forbid, mauls them and, and really creates some damage. It's, it's not likely that they're going to be traumatized, that they're going to be emotionally and permanently scarred and, and disturbed because they understand what happened. They, they have a degree of comprehension, right? The lion is a, is a living being that pursues its good and it doesn't necessarily see me as I see it. I see it as my pet. I love it. Yada, yada. It doesn't necessarily uh, see, see me like that. And consequently, it saw me as a piece of food and enacted. But again, it also it's a qualified example because some people anthropomorphize animals too much and they do think the animals love them and understand their humanity. So in that case, they may feel betrayed, right? But if a real animal expert who truly understands and has thought about these questions on a philosophical level and they work with animals, they work with snakes and, and something that happens, it's, it's very unlikely they're going to be traumatized. So it's the same thing if we approach human behavior like this as as animal experts and we understand most people are in an animal state they follow their impulses and inclinations there's no self-control there's no self-awareness there's no uh, intellectual basis for for uh, for actions and consequently people uh, do things that hurtful things to other people because from their point of view it was it appeared to be the positive constructive thing to do if we adequately and truly understand and internalize this perhaps all of our 
or just about all of our psychological bondage must vanish, at least as it concerns other people, because that's really the root of it, is that split in the conception of the good, uh, and that split of that inner unity that comes from understanding and comprehension and, and um, proper classification uh, of phenomena and of experiences, all right? Excuse me. So that's that. If we if we work on that, we can truly free ourselves tremendously psychologically, and we can do many things that prior we couldn't do. But uh, there's other bondages yet, uh, no question about that. One of them is is our desires, uh, as we well know. So when we, what does it mean to say that we're enslaved by our desires? It means that our desires compel us to to do things and to not do things that are contrary to our highest good to, to us fully realizing our potential so what does that mean so let's take a a, a bright uh, well adapted psychologically normal person who, who let's say they've even resolved uh, most of their issues to do with other people and, and consequently they're not they, they don't have any deep complexes and hang-ups about their parents and their peers and the society and all of this but still they have the, their desires their impulses and inclinations of their body so now we understand, to, again, for a person to attain their highest good, they have to, there's a, a way to do it, right? A person has to be able to concentrate and focus and properly toil and exercise their mind and to uh, follow the, the results of, of their intellect and to not degrade themselves through their actions. There's many things, but if a person has not worked on, on this part of themselves, they, they haven't worked on freeing themselves in this regard, then a person is subject to the whims of of, of their of their desires, right? So, for instance, a person, um, uh, the, the body says, to so speak, the body says, not, I mean, not literally, but you need to go uh, and uh, and sleep now. And really, the the best thing would be to to finish work, to finish a, an assignment, to do one's duty, to not let down other people. Right? But the body doesn't care about this, and consequently, a person who's a, still a slave of of his or her desires says, no problem, I'm gonna go sleep right now. Then the body says, I want you to eat. Right? It may not be the right thing to eat. It may not be healthy. It may not be uh, proper. It may not be the right time. And yet if we're a slave, we're gonna go and we're gonna eat. Our, our body may say, go and, and enjoy um, relations with such and such. Right? And even despite the fact that this would be profoundly uh, destructive, excuse me, to our life, such as if we're married and with children in a responsible position, and yet we're a slave to, to our body, so we go and we do its bidding and we go and fulfill uh, the, the, this compulsion with, with consequently potentially disastrous results, right? Or for example, on the converse this is doing, or what about not doing? So for instance, we may think it would be to my benefit if I were to uh, and begin to study more. If I were to begin to, to create a period of, uh, set aside some time for contemplation uh, and, and such, right? But the body says, no, 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 you need rest. You need to go and, and watch TV during this time. So then we're a slave. We can't on a certain level we want to, but we don't really want to because we're still constrained by our impulses and our inclinations and our laziness and all of this. So further, a further layer of freedom then is attained by a person who uh, it, it gets their desires under control. And this can be a lifelong task. But ultimately, if uh, the way here would be to develop a relation with oneself where one's intellect rules, where we're able to say, this is right and I'm going to do it. This is wrong and I won't do it. Where we have 
that, that kind of oversight where we're our own boss, our own general, our own police person, right? But uh, we can start small and, uh, and, and say, for example, write out on a piece of paper, I will uh, clap my hands, I will stomp my feet, I will go for a little walk, I will do a, a short bout of exercise, and then do it and get this concept down that the intellect can rule the body, right? And sometimes it can be, we, we may be so out of control, we may be so enslaved to our senses and to our impulses that we can only do like a blink. Right? That's all that we can make ourselves do by uh, with our intellect. Blink once a day. That's fine. So we do that for weeks, for months, hopefully not for years. That is a small step. But eventually you want to graduate to something a little bit more. And to, to maybe again, it's a little bit of exercise, something like that. And eventually, hopefully we can get to the point where our intellect rolls, where we can tell ourselves exactly what we will and we won't do down to the very last thought down to the very last emotion, down to the very last movement of the hand. And then that's exactly what happens because we've attained freedom from our impulses and our inclinations and from, so to speak, at least our body, from our animality. So now we're very free. We're much freer than we started out, uh, at least according to, to the, in the senses that, in the sense that we said here. Uh, we're, we're free from our uh, psychology. We have no inhibitions and no restraints, and we're never gonna not do something because we fear uh, other people, or because we fear judgment, or because we, um, not to say we don't take into consideration norms and all of that, but we're saying from a, a, a point of view of freedom, not, not of intellectual contemplation of what's proper and what's not proper. Right, so we, uh, we're able to do whatever our intellect tells us that, that we need to do. We're free from our senses. We're free from our impulses. We're not chasing after food. We're not chasing after wine and otherwise other such intoxicants. That's the right word. We're not chasing after other corporal, corporal pleasures that we don't even want to mention. Uh, we're not chasing after rest. We're not chasing after sleep or we're not giving in to them. And we're very free. Is there any other freedom to attain? So we would say that perhaps so, perhaps a, a yet further freedom is our insistence to, to, uh, to, to, to um, circumscribe ourselves to a very limited field, right? to think of ourselves as a very particular specific person, but not defined in terms of standards uh, and of excellence, meaning uh, this is what I will and won't do, and this is what makes me me. It's because I won't commit do these immoral things and it's because I will fulfill my duties and that's good enough for my sense of self that's what I need in order to do my job in the world uh, not that right but uh, uh, more than that where a person is creates an identity and is attached to that identity defined in, in very contingent terms that's at odds with the whole with other people with life with time with space where a person pits themselves as a very narrow almost caricature-like character against everything else and says, here is me, me equals this body and this look and this haircut and this clothing and uh, these preferences and these uh, specific ways of communication and perhaps writing and uh, or that, that speech and writing, uh, these uh, particular desires and these particular versions and these particular views and these particular opinions. Uh, and so forth and so on. This is me and I am against you, whoever you are. Every person that comes into uh, my site is, uh, is a threat or is to be stacked up against me. Can they help me in defined in this way? Can they hurt me? 
Can they advance my interest? Can they prohibit my interest? Also, we're stacked up now against reality, against death, against the reality of the death of our bodies and of the passage of time. And it's disturbing then to think about other people that thought of themselves uh, 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 of their finiteness in absolute terms that, that certainly are gone and certainly are dead and we may think, oh, I'm going to be the exception. I'm going to transfer as, as nowadays uh, before it was the, the philosopher's stone, uh, 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 right? The, the immortality. Now it's the whole, uh, people like that, ho uh, their hopes lie with technology with maybe transferring quote-unquote their quote-unquote mind to a computer. Right now, now uh, they, we think we're gonna phrase ourselves. We're gonna we're gonna make an exception to, to the rule. We're not gonna be the ones, and consequently, we are absolutely a slave. Right? We're we're a slave to, to this uh, illusion and to this nonsense, and uh, we never attained that freedom, and we're not able to experience what would be possible. Our experience is not like what it could be if we were to get rid of this constraint. So, how do we get rid of this constraint? We work on ourselves. We work on seeing past our very narrow individuality of identifying with others, of identifying with the whole, of thinking in terms of what is demanded from me instead of what do I demand. What is needed from me instead of what, of, what do I need of uh, serving others without expecting anything in return, of uh, working incessantly on our mind and on our morals without making a point of pride in it and thinking that I, I am now superior to somebody else because I have greater morals uh, or, or because I've worked on my mind as opposed to simply saying it is true. There are different standards of, of development and we have to strive to, toward the highest and be thankful for whatever results that we have. We don't have to deny them, but that is different from having an emotional uh, attachment and consequently bondage and enslavement to our notion that we are very knowledgeable or very developed or very emotionally sensitive or anything at all like that. So we work on these things over many years and hopefully we can reach the final freedom that at least that, that now we're aware of or that, that now we're discussing and that is the freedom from the, the illusory sense of self. So hopefully now, after many years of difficult uh, backbreaking, certainly figuratively, but perhaps literally, uh, of effort and labor at perfecting our mind and perfecting our uh, understanding and and uh, matching up our actions and and uh, way of life to our to what our intellect tells us. After we've achieved freedom from our initial childish psychology, after we've achieved freedom, we did we are the well. We, we did talk about it, but we didn't talk about it specifically after we achieved freedom from being an animal because the initial, another way to call what we were initially is an animal who's a slave to compulsions and, and, and to the body and to the also the self-esteem needs, excuse me, which is what we, uh, part of part of the psychology bondage. That we've achieved freedom from being an animal, we've achieved which which consists out of freedom from our uh, childish animalistic psychology, as as well as freedom from our impulses and inclinations and and, and the world of the senses, right? And we've achieved freedom, uh, uh, and and then we've achieved freedom from our illusory individuality and our uh, unrealistic sense of self. Now we're free, and we're as free as we can be until we become more free and more free and lose more and more bondage. And that then we can conceptualize or think about as the good that is our desire, that is necessary, that is underlying the other contingent desires. Consequently, it's not really that we want 
to go to a movie or to uh, watch uh, this or that or to eat this nice food. We want to be free. We want to be what we in truth are. But right now, we're in chains where there's much bondage uh, uh, on us. We're heavily constrained by many things. But if we work on ourselves, we can attain freedom, which is then the fulfillment of our deepest desires, which is interpreted, which is what we mean by the good. So consequently, we can attain the absolute good by freeing ourselves and continuing to free ourselves as opposed to thinking that it's a destination that we arrive at and then we're good to go and we can return back to the to, to bondage by relaxing, right? So hopefully uh, this discussion can, can be helpful, uh, at, at least conceptually speaking, if not practically, but hopefully practically as well in our efforts at freedom. Thank you for listening.